0: jay goodwin
1: that is awesome (laughs) that time the sour hour first episode great job on that intro push turned out pretty good scott i think i kind of dig it (laughs) you you
2: like that point to get going I like it. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty jacked I up. I gave Jay the, uh, you know, as soon as the mic goes on, I give him the, uh, the, the the first finger. Go, baby. Yeah. I used to live for that.
1: This is uh, this is training camp here for me today. Never hosted anything except for like maybe a couple of high school parties when my parents were out of town. So this will be fun. But I do love talking about sour beer, and that's what we're going to do on this show. Um, really excited for the Brewing Network to give me this opportunity, you know. So a little bit about myself, you know, I'm... My name is Jay Goodwin, uh, co-founder of The Rare Barrel in Berkeley, California. What we do there is uh, we're an all sour brewery. So it's what we live, what we breathe, what we drink every day. It's always sour beer. Uh, you know, my, my other co-founders, uh, my dad, Brad and Alex, you guys might have uh, heard on the session a few weeks ago. Um, you know, we decided to start this brewery, and make only sour beer because that's, kind of all we like it's like the cream of the crop i used to work with a guy at my old job at the brewery in orange county uh named carl and uh when he heard that i was leaving he he uh said oh so you're gonna go open a, a muffin top brewery and i don't know how many of you guys are uh, seinfeld fans but basically one of the characters wanted to start i think it was a bakery and then all they made was the tops of the muffins and they just threw away all the muffin wasn't
2: box. it called like just the top or something i
1: believe the name was top of the muffin of to the... you <laughs> yes if my memory serves me right i think you're right um so yeah that's we're the muffin top brewery i guess um do you have like uh, old
2: uh, uh, black ladies showing up going uh you think the homeless want your uh because wasn't there like a you know they wanted they were giving them to homeless shelters the yeah. bottom part right mm-hmm. you, you give your runoff to homeless shelters and then have an them complain. question
1: yeah we i think the equivalent would be like our bad barrels that you know would turn into vinegar or something it's like you think the homeless want your vinegar? Hell no.
2: What better than that?
1: <laughs> Luckily, not too many barrels turned into vinegar so far, but you know, we'll get into that on this show. We'll get in a lot of stuff on this show. A lot about uh, what we're doing at the Rare Barrel, um, our experiments, uh, you know, what we've done so far, what we plan on doing in the future, but also a lot about what other breweries are doing. Uh, you know, We'll have other brewers who are experimenting with sour beer on the show. We'll have... Uh, Authors on the show, like we have tonight, uh, Michael Tonsmeyer. I asked him how to pronounce that before the show. I hope I got that right. Uh, he's the author of American Sour Beers, the new book out from the Brewers Association. It is absolutely fantastic. I give it my highest recommendation. We'll talk a little bit more with Mike about that later in the show. Um, so, yeah, we'll have, he also runs a blog called The Mad Fermentationist, which is excellent. Chronicles all of his home brewing, uh, which there's a lot of great information about his uh, his sour beer making at home for all the homebrewers listening out there right now. Um, so, we'll talk to bloggers, we'll talk to microbiologists, we'll talk to yeast labs, really anyone who touches the sour beer making process. And it's such a specialized process, which I think why it kind of does dictate its own show, it's it's not quite as linear as your regular brew day so it really really requires its own special attention so that's what we're trying trying to do here but maybe maybe one place we can start off is just a little bit about some of the experiments we've been working on at the rare barrel So, i mean we don't really have you know a lot of breweries they'll start a sour program they have their certain way of making the beer they have their house culture that develop over time and maintain we're not really like that. We, we certainly have our methods that we, we think are the best practices that we'll examine kind of throughout this show. But really, we're trying to borrow, beg, borrow, and steal from other breweries, find out what they're doing, try out a little bit of, of everything on our own because we've got this unique opportunity to make only sour beer. We have all this time. you know. Let's really fan out and see, you know. okay, if we make a beer like in the Russian River method, How does this turn out versus Lost Abbey, the brewery, Crooked State?
2: Has it happened yet that you have taken another brewery's uh, practice that you thought was something you wanted to implement, maybe made a tweak on it or improved it, and then had the brewery where you originally got the idea change to the improvement you had made?
1: Oh, no. Uh, Everything except for that last part. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, actually sort of in a way. So, uh, I used to work at the brewery in Orange County. They have this extensive, uh, barrel aging program. And, uh, that was my last job when I was there to kind of oversee all the barrels. Um, uh, when I moved up here, uh, the rare barrel basically just became sort of a modified version of their barrel warehouse. Um, I decided to use stainless steel tanks instead of, uh, oak barrels for fermenters. Um, We had a a taster room on site, and now actually all my old buddies at at the brewery, they're kind of going through a transition where they're creating a new brand called the Brewery Taroo or Tarot. I don't know how to, I never know how to pronounce anything, even though I worked at the brewery. I think it's
2: Townsmere. Townsmere,
1: yeah. (laughs) Um,
2: So yeah. Don't shake your head at me, Bevo. Bevo's here too, by the way. Hey, Bevo. You can call in uh, at 808-401-BEER with uh, questions or, you know, throw them in the chat or uh, email me, scott at the Network.com. We welcome your sour beer and barrel aging questions.
1: Yeah, definitely. Let's answer some questions today. Let's, let's make that an ongoing part of this show. Um, you know, one of my goals is to make this kind of a, a central location for best practices for sour beer making, whether it be home brewing or professional scale. Um, so we definitely want your input. Um, but yeah, getting back to the brewery. So they, they made some modifications to their sour program after I left. And now they're kind of doing something similar to the rare barrel. They have their own fermentation tanks. They're going to install a tasting room into this area. So I guess that's a way where it kind of came around. Um, but, you know, the I, I 90% of what I know is stuff I learned from those guys. So they're, they, they're doing their own thing, and it's uh, it's great stuff coming out of the brewery. But actually, when it comes to the beer, uh, you know, one of the first experiments we decided to do was sort of a, a hybrid between... So a beer I made at the brewery and stuff I was learning from Chad Jacobson's uh, dissertation on Britannomyces fermentations. Um, Chad Jacobson, of course, is the head brewer and founder of Crooked Stave, or Crooked Stave Artisan Beer Project um, in Denver. And he's got all this great information about uh, 100% Brett fermentations. And one of the beers we made at the brewery was a beer called uh, Hottenroth Berliner Weiss. And it's actually featured in a section of uh, Mike's book, American Sour Beers. And they kind of go over where, you know, this is a 100% brett fermented beer, but really the, the star of the show is lactobacillus. And I always liked that beer. I love the fermentation characteristics. Uh, it was a primary fermentation with brett and lacto. Um, so I basically wanted to do that to start for the first beers at the Rare Barrel. So we did. The only thing I did differently was I replaced... The Britannomyces that we used at the brewery with uh, Brettanomyces bruxellensis uh, from Dre Fontanen, um, and the only reason I did that is because I was so excited about what that strain could do after reading Chad's research. That uh, we made that brief modification, and I checked it earlier today. We actually made thirty of our forty-four initial batches with that fermentation profile, and that's almost a thousand. Beer barrels of beer, so I'm not good at math, but that's, what, 30,000 gallons? <laughs> I, I am, if there's
2: anyone worse at math than you, it's me.
1: I need. I, I think I'm going to need a calculator out during the show for uh, for many reasons, maybe a converter to a...
2: Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah. Hey, Beav, bring us that calculator,
1: will you? Awesome. <laughs> well, luckily, we have one. <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a hybrid idea uh, between, thanks, Bevo hybrid idea between uh, what we were doing at the brewery and what I had read uh, Chad doing over at Crooked Stave. And I really liked the results. So, you know, just a little bit about what happened with that. We spent eight months fermenting with just that yeast and just that lactobacillus because that's kind of our style. We really want to dive into the mixed cultures and the different ways of producing these beers, but not just on a one-off, not just on a two-off. We want to dive in for three, six, nine months, a year, and make this a decades-long experiment. So this just happens to be the first part of it. A lot of the beers we came out with right off the top, they all have this sort of similar fermentation profile, in my opinion, at the Rare Barrel. Um, But we've done a lot with secondary ingredients and blending to kind of make a lot of different beers that are on tap and have that nice variety. But I think what we do get from this uh, fermentation is a very clean aroma, very good attenuation, and a nice moderate level of lactic acidity with very little acetic acid. So, you know, these are, you might smell this beer and think, oh, is this going to be a sour beer? You don't get that typical Brett funk. Um, And then when you taste it, it's more of a a smoother beer um, and it lends itself very well to having a bunch of different secondary ingredients added to it. So, you know, we've got a beer on tap here at the Hop Grenade uh, called Egregious, which is a Amarillo dry hop sour beer with that fermentation profile. So the beer comes in and it's in the barrel. It's a golden sour and it's got this nice clean aroma. But that kind of provides an open slate for the hops to, to do their thing on the aroma part of that beer. And then you get into all the interaction between the hops and the sour flavors. And that beer is a total chameleon. It's one week it tastes like pineapple and orange and mango. The next week it kind of seems more dank and citrusy. And then the next week it'll kind of go back. It's it's like always subtly changing and it's such a fun beer to have on tap all the time.
2: So do you think then that your your house flavor i guess will like vary by era you know what i'm saying because you're saying now here in this first segment it's going to it's all of the beers are having a sort of similar f- fermentation profile and as this experiment goes on into multiple years you know what i'm asking
1: yeah absolutely so you know i i shy away from the term house flavor but i know what you're talking about it's like this initial flavor that we've gotten from so many Right. You're, the you're same talking thing. about a,
2: a through line through a lot of your first uh, beers.
1: Yeah, it's like now. Now we finally feel. Co- I think we felt comfortable with it uh, quite early on, but we really wanted to experiment, manipulate one variable on this batch, another one on the next batch, really explore what we can do with this bread and this lactobacillus, and you know push it to its limits and find out really what it's all about. And now we've. I mean, as much as you can, I feel like we do know about what that fermentation is all about. So that's just one tool in our tool belt there. And that'll stay in our tool belt when we, you know, we, w- when we know we want to build a beer or have some of this beer in our portfolio, we know we can come back to this fermentation, but we're also pushing forward onto other things. So, you know, just a quick example would be in the last uh, month or two, we we've started to brew with Brett Lambicus and Lactobacillus Buckneri, which we get from uh, Y East. Same, everything else is the same. It's just that different Brett and that different Lactobacillus. And we've taken steps in between too. This might seem tedious, but we've taken steps in between too where it's like we did some beers with Brett Dre and Lactobacillus Buckneri, And then we did some beers with Brett Lambicus and Lactobacillus uh, delbruchii, which is what we use for all the initial batches. So... It's, it's one step at a time. It's really exploring all these different things and then just seeing what flavor those different fermentation produces. And then at that point, we kind of decide, okay, how do we make this into a beer that we're actually going to sell? So we do all these experiments on the front end, but we really don't know what the beer is going to be down the line. We don't know what it's going to be when it's released. So it's a lot of fun.
2: That was one of the things I liked most about uh, your appearance on the the session from a couple months ago was talking how you decide what the be- – you let the beer decide what the beer is, right? Instead of deciding ahead of time and uh, trying to dial in what you have in your head, you let the beer do its thing, taste the beer, and then say, well, what does this taste like? I mean, it's so simple when, when it's put to you in words, but I think a lot of people don't do that. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, it's a huge advantage that, you know, we have as an all-sour brewery, but it's something that, you know, the other brewers out there can take advantage of when they, when they consider their barrel-aged beer, or even on homebrew scale, if you're talking about, you know, having a closet full of one-gallon Carboys, you know, I think that's a great idea to be able to blend different flavors and different batches at home. I mean, you know, let's say this Sunday, you're going to go out and you're going to brew, you know, a mild, and, you know, just knock it out like you would usually, but just take one gallon and throw some sour beer drakes in there or, you know, get a tube of, or get a smack pack of, you know, Brett and lacto or Brett Lactopedio. Just take, you know, one gallon of a beer that you think would go well with a sour culture and then just start building it up. Just one gallon at a time. And then if you have all these different one gallons, that kind of mimics what we're doing at the rear barrel where it's like, you know, you're doing all these different experiments. You're trying to get different flavors out of it. And you really don't know what's going to come out of it at the end, but you're just trying to build your toolbox or, you know, in a, in a chef's analogy, you're, you're building your pantry. You got these spices, you got these, you know, tomatoes, onions, garlic. You want all these things there so you can just put them together and make something great out of the combination of them. So, that's that's a lot about what we're going to talk about on the show. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is that... I Actually, I don't know where... Uh, I brought some beer. I brought some beer for the show today.
2: Oh, you don't say.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I think uh, Kevin wandered off with them, but...
2: Oh, yeah. That jerk loves to just leave with beer. Yeah. I know that might sound funny coming from me, the guy who uh, has the guests <laughs> ship their beer to my house and then uh, partakes a little bit, but uh, Kevin is... Does not fall far from the tree, I guess. Uh, But uh, I think he uh, put it in the cold box, so it's waiting for us.
1: Awesome, yeah. It it warmed up a little bit on my my long bar journey over, which which wasn't that long.
2: Hopefully, it'll be shorter (laughs) in uh, coming uh, shows.
1: It will, yeah, I'm sure it will be. But uh, yeah, I brought over uh, Sour Tooth Tiger, which is one of these Brett lacto beers that we were talking about, and the secondary ingredient that we decided to you know let shine through on that was ginger. I, I really like uh like the aggressive ginger ales. You know, it's like fresh ginger. It almost like it's spicy. It almost burns a little bit. That's we we dialed that back a, cu- a couple of steps. Vivo
2: <laughs> went right for the uh, the tums the antacid.
1: <laughs> prob- for this one, you know, I'd say most of our beers pretty mild. This one we definitely we geared up to be a little more aggressive on it. Um, so to to, to kind of match that other flavor that we wanted. So, uh, you know, another great thing about making sour beer or, or actually, you know, just to go back uh, one step and talk about our, uh, the philosophy we have on brewing our wort. So we don't do really any hot side additions. Um, and by that, I mean, we're not putting spices in the kettle. We're not putting, you know, hops in the whirlpool for egregious. We're producing the same wort over and over again. So that we're not locked into a certain flavor profile, or even a certain, uh, even an amount of flavor. So you know, let's say you put in orange peel in your in your boil kettle. You're gonna put in a few ounces, dip it in, and then you knock out your beer. That's that's how much orange peel character you're gonna have in it. It's it's kind of locked in. You could brew another beer to blend it down, or you know, maybe if you're making a clean beer, you might risk it and put some in the secondary but with a sour beer it's nice because you add all these secondary ingredients, these flavors into the barrel, into your carboy in a secondary environment and so you can just start with, okay, here's a little bit of ginger. Let's wait a week. Taste it. Oh, you know what, that's not enough. Here's a little bit more. Wait a week. Taste it. You know, that's not enough. We gotta double everything we put in there so far. This is exactly what we did with Sour Tooth Tiger. Doubled it again waited a week, boom, big ginger aroma, nice balanced ginger flavor. It's more, more present in the aroma, but it's just, it really pops out there. And I think that's, that's another way that, you know, there's, there's all these people talk about a lot, how sour beer is really hard to make, but there's a lot of ways that sour beer can be easier than regular beer. You have this advantage of blending. You have this advantage of adding ingredients in the secondary environment. So, it's it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of what we're going to get to on the show. But
2: does the wort so it's only malt bill and and bittering hops and and I guess flavor just just malt and hops in, in every every batch of wort you guys make?
1: Pretty much. Yeah, we just uh we only have three base recipes. Um it's a really simple brew day. Uh just, just a little bit about the recipes and, and how we build them. It's another way we try to be meticulous is that, uh, we've got this, this gold recipe, which I'll just blur down now is basically sick, 60 to 70% uh, base malt. And then we have, um, equal parts of oats, spelt malt and aromatic malt. And then we, those parts are doubled when it comes to our percentage of wheat. So basically what we're trying to do is somewhat mimic a lambic style malt bill, um, but not really replicate it. So, you know, lambic is, you know, 60, 40, or, in so, you know, maybe in some cases even 50, 50, your base malt and your wheat, unmalted wheat. Um, for us, we, we just decided that that's a little bit too much wheat for us you know, just don't like the character of that much wheat in a beer. So what we did is we just replaced some of it with the oats, which will add body, add a nice mouthfeel to the beer. Um, the aromatic malt, which does what it sounds like, has nice malt aromas to it. Pretty subtle, but a nice addition to add complexity. And then, uh, the spelt, which I like to describe as just less wheaty wheat. (laughs) If that makes sense. Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of just like wheat. I it might even be a type of wheat. I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but, uh, it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it just kind of rounds out that malt profile. So that, that's the goal. We brew it to about 12 Play-Doh, um, 10, 48. That's another thing I won't be good at, uh, converting to specific gravity, but, um, that's, that's basically the gold recipe. And then for our, we have a red which is loosely based off of Flemish red, and then a dark recipe, which is loosely based off oud Bruin. Um, and all we do for that is, to the red, we add the same percentage of uh, Crystal 60 that we do of the oats, the aromatic, and the spelt. And then for the dark, all we do is add that same percentage, but of chocolate malt. So it's just, its again, really meticulous, one thing at a time. Basically what we want to do is make it so that when we brew uh, a recipe that we know that it's not the, re- it's not the malt that is making the flavor change, change, it's the yeast and bacteria. That's where we're at right now. We're, our whole focus is just on experimenting with yeast and bacteria. We can really down the road get into new recipes with new malt bills. We can get into new barrels for barrel aging experiments. Um, but right now it's just, you know, we brew, we brew a beer with this yeast and bacteria and then we brew it with a different yeast and bacteria. But if we used a different recipe or a different barrel, you know, I'm not sure how we're going to know if the great flavors from the change or from, you know, the yeast and bacteria, which is what we're completely focused on.
2: Yep. Makes perfect sense. Uh, Let's take a break. Yes. And then when we get back, What? You tell me, baby.
1: We're going to talk to Michael Tonsmere. Tonsmere?
2: Tonsmire? Tons Murray, I think.
1: Mike. We're going (laughs) to talk to Mike when we get back and hopefully take some questions if there's anyone listening who doesn't share my last name. sour hour i'm jay goodwin this is the first show i have no idea what i'm doing but luckily soon enough we'll have someone who knows exactly what he's doing michael tonsmeyer gonna join us a little bit in just a few minutes i think but uh apparently there are some people listening out there and they've sent us some questions is that right scott
2: yes indeed let's uh start with the uh chat room and actually you know (laughs) I got a yeah, personal email, so uh, uh, not even uh, not even halfway into the first show. And scott at the dot com already already uh, not to submit. Oh no, I did. I gave my email address out, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Oh, you're you're right.
1: on top of that. I'm not, so I'm I'm gonna do it right now. Eight 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 four one beer. That's a telephone number. You can use your phone to call us, and then we'll talk to you. You can use electronic mail, call and email Scott at the dot or join us in the chat. That's professional, right there. That was good. I, I'm, turn, I, I'm turning around.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: let me let me clarify the uh, the email thing, though. I
2: would yeah. like it if you could um, email me during the week, and we will read the emails on the show in real time. Uh, get in the chat and ask, or uh, give us a call. Uh, but in the meantime, it is Brandon Zeddy's, and he says I have a red sour. I literally forgot about. It is currently <laughs> nine months old in a carboy, glass carboy, air, airlock ran dry at some point pitched y yeast Rosalair blend and bottles dregs from a couple of bottles of a uh, goose tilken uh, beer currently has quite a bit of vinegar character when I smell the carboy have not tasted a sample yet as there is still a pedicle intact uh, is this something that may go away if not uh, anything at all I can do to save the batch I think he means the vinegar character
1: right yeah oh that it sounds like you're you know you're pretty advanced you're doing good things um I like that you're using the the tilken dregs um You know, I I would taste it if I were you. The vinegar smell, um, any type of vinegar, excessive acetic acid, um, that's not going to go away. So, you know, that's something we'll definitely be talking about during the course of these shows is, you know, certain sour beer off flavors or flavors that people consider off flavors that will go away over time, uh, either by Brett taking them up or they're just a volatile aroma, um. You know, things can go away over time, but this is not one that's going to. So, you know, what I would recommend is taste it. Um,
2: Does that mean he has to break the pellicle then? Yeah, break
1: the pellicle. And that's no big deal? I mean, it's the first time he's tasting it. You know, you you, got to taste sour beer. So it's it's an important part of it. The pellicle will reform, most likely. It's kind of like it's going to break and then it's going to slowly reform. So I wouldn't be too broken up over the pellicle. You know, use a like straw or like a piece of tubing if you've got a thief use that rather than you know pouring it out which will disturb the entire pellicle um but it'll probably reform and then my last piece of advice is you know if it's if it's just very sour uh keep it around and use it to blend into another beer but if it's too sour or if it's also got some some nail polish to it if it really just tastes like vinegar then dump it
2: all right, let's uh, do one more question before we talk to Mike. Hey, Chris. Yes. You're in Delaware. I am in Delaware. What's up?
3: Not too much. Yeah, so I had a question. So I acquired this uh, bourbon barrel about a month ago, and I filled it up with uh, water and sodium metabisulfite because I knew I was not to be able to brew uh, for a little bit, and I didn't want it to go dry. So my question for Jay is, is it okay that I'm letting it sit with these chemicals, and I probably won't be able to fill it for another month, so like two months Sitting with the metabisulfite, sulfite, is that okay? Should I dump that water and just add regular water without the chemicals at this point?
1: You know that's fine, and that's that's uh, you're a step ahead of a lot of people on that. So that so kudos to you. Um, the only thing okay. I would modify about what you're doing is to also add citric acid to your solution. I
3: did do that, yeah. So to the for the fifty three gallon uh, bourbon barrel, I had like maybe two ounces of citric acid just to bring the pH down a little bit.
1: Okay, two ounces sounds uh, like a little bit. Uh, on the low side, to me, we what we okay. do at, at uh, the rare barrel is for about a 59 gallon standard size wine barrel, we'll do uh, one pound of potassium made of bisulfite and a half pound or eight ounces of uh, citric acid. Um, so you may okay. want to up the citric acid. You know, luckily, yeah, one thing you could do is just look inside it with a flashlight and see if you can see mold, smell it see if it smells bad. Yeah, no,
3: it's smelling great, actually, just before I called with the question. Like, you know, it's still smelling great. The bourbon, you know, the oaks there. Um, yeah, i just kind of worried, like, it. Yeah, if the chemicals are there for such a long contact time. If, um, yeah, if I should dump that and just do water for, like, the next uh, couple weeks until I'm able to fill it. Or, uh, yeah, just keep the chemicals in until the very end and then give it a good rinse.
1: Chris, I think you're doing all the right things. Um, what I would advise people who might want to, you know, be as proactive as you are is the maximum you want to store that is probably about four to six months before at, at the very least topping off with cold water due to evaporation. Uh, you know, right. otherwise you're, you're going to get some, some drying around the top of the barrel. Um, okay. and, and definitely, you know, if you go any longer than six months, you're just going to want to completely replace those chemicals, but you're fine. You're only doing it for a couple of months. So yeah. good, good okay. on you. And, uh, but I would just make sure thoroughly rinse the barrel, uh, in between when you remove the chemicals and want to fill it back up with beer.
2: Excellent. We appreciate the call, Chris. And uh, now, without further ado, you ready, Jay?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
2: Hey, Michael.
0: Hey, how's it going?
1: Hey, Mike. Thanks for joining us on the Sour Hour. The first show, you are the first guest. How does that make you feel?
0: That is awesome. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Well, you're the perfect person to have on because, you know, one of my goals with this show is to kind of make it a centralized resource for kind of best practices and sour beer making, But I mean, your book, American Sour Beers, which is out now, um, is, is really the best thing out there in my opinion. I mean, there's been some pretty good, uh, books that touch on sour beer, but this is really, uh, an incredible guide to what people are doing these days. Uh, who's, who's taking from traditional methods and who's using, you know, new cutting edge stuff. So thank you, first of all, for, for just making the, making a great book.
0: Oh, thank you, and, and thank you. I mean, really, to the Brewing Network in general. I, I could not have done um, such a, a book like that with um, so many, uh, without so many interviews from the Brewing Network. That I, I listened to um, Will Myers from Cambridge, or uh, the Vinny from Russian River, or or Ron from Cascade. All these places. Got a good sense of what they did, but then I actually got to talk to them and you know get clarification or get what they'd changed or all those sorts of things. But um, it was so uh, integral to the process to to have that first layer of uh, research.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and I feel the same way. And that's why I'm so excited to be here and to have you on. Um, before I get too much further, you know, before we get into all the nitty gritty about you know what's in the book, uh, what's the where's the best place to buy it.
0: Um, I literally anywhere, I mean, I, I I essentially get the same cut from anywhere, but if you follow a, a link from my uh, my blog, The Mad Fermentationist, um, I get a little bit more. Um, disturbingly, I've found out that I get nearly as much for recommending the book to people from my blog as I do for actually having written the book, so that's <laughs> the, the wonderful state of uh, publishing.
1: Yeah, well, let's get into that. I mean, you, you spent a long time researching and writing this book, and... If, if my research has done me correctly, you have a day job working for the government as an economist, too. How do you pull that off?
0: Um, it, well, that's part of the reason it took so long. It took me about three years, uh, about a year of research, a year of writing, and then a year of, of editing. Um, and so it was a whole lot of lunch breaks talking to Lauren Salazar from New Belgium and Sunday mornings getting up early and, and drinking a big pot of coffee while I wrote for eight hours. Um but yeah, no, it it was a fun, exciting process. I, I started out just thinking it was going to be this little book about what I do as a home brewer, how I brew sour beers. Um, but American sour brewers were so open. Um, it wasn't this this vibe of oh, you know, I can't tell you that. That's proprietary. I, I got that from one or two people. But almost everyone I talked to was just so excited to share what they had learned, but also to sort of pay that favor forward for. That brewer, whether it was Peter Bukart, who who sort of started a lot of these guys on their way, or, or various other people, who, you know, told them, you know, gave them the ropes when they started and, and maybe didn't tell them everything, but told them enough to point them in the right direction, told them enough that their first batch of sour beer didn't suck.
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on. And, you know, one thing I really like about your book, Mike, is that you do spend a lot of time on professional brewers and, you know, their methods, but you're talking about, Homebrew methods a lot too, and I think it's actually a lot more challenging to make good sour beer as a home brewer than it actually is as a professional brewer. Talk about a little bit about your blog, the Mad Fermentationist, and and maybe what I'll, I'll term the the Tonsmeyer method, how you make sour beer.
0: Sure, um, I mean I started making sour beers I don't know, eight years ago, I think now, and I I moved down to Washington D.C. to start a new job, and I. Didn't have a whole bunch of beer friends, and so I decided that, you know, hey, rather than just posting on a forum or whatever, that I'd, I'd just start a blog to chronicle what I did. And my method really do, uh, evolved over the years. It's, it's a real sort of pragmatic method. Um, for the most part, it's relatively standard wort. I mean, unless I'm doing something real special like a lambic, and I'll go all out and do a turbid mash. It's just a single infusion mash, probably a hot sacrification rest, 158, 160, somewhere in that range just really make a lot of dextrins. Um, I think a lot of people sort of misconstrue. Britannomyces really doesn't need a whole lot of dextrins. I mean, Orval gets terrific brett character, um, making a really dry beer, pitching bread, bottling. It's really the lactic acid bacteria that require malt-based carbohydrates. So if you want a really sour beer, make sure you mash hot. If you're just doing a little bit of brett and a saison, don't worry about mashing at 148, 149, drying it out, getting bread in there, getting in the bottle. That's really where you're going to get that barnyard, farmyard, funky uh, horse blanket, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, And then I just pitch whatever I feel like. And um, sort of like you were talking earlier. It's, I'm really still even eight years in at this experimental phase. Normally I'll pitch a nice big healthy dose of brewer's yeast. There are great sours being made with Saison yeast and Scottish yeast and lager yeast. and what, I mean, essentially, whatever you have left over uh, in a yeast cake from a beer that you want to toss in there, toss that in, toss in any sort of uh, yeast blend you want from uh, White Labs or Y Yeast or the Yeast Bay or East Coast Yeast or any of these other places. And I'm I'm a big fan of baldregs, too. You know, that to me, that's like... Uh, Having yeast that you have a resume for, you know, hey, they came out of this bottle. This beer is delicious. Odds are they're going to do great things in your beer. Um, versus, say, a, a yeast blend that you know may have been selected and balanced, but you really can't taste, you know, what Rosaleir tastes like from from Y yeast without brewing a batch of it. You, the, this little bit of wort in the uh, the pack isn't going to give you a great impression of that. I give it a couple of weeks in primary, rack to secondary, whenever it seems like the uh, primary yeast is done, when a chunk of most of that falls out, uh, throw it into secondary. I'm not a big fan of buckets, I just don't think those lids seal terrifically. I'm not too worried about the permeability of the plastic, it's more that seal, if it's not perfect, you're going to get like that last collar, uh, vinegar, nail polish, all those terrible off flavors. Um, and that just sits there until the gravity is stable, and I like the flavor, and it's time to either add fruit or dry hops or blend it or, or whatever.
1: Right on. And, you, you know, I like what you're saying about the bottled dregs, you know, yeast with the resume. I think that's right. Homebrewers and even professional brewers, they're ordering yeast and buying yeast at their local homebrew store, and, you know, it's pretty much dormant. You know, it's coming from getting propagated in the lab where it's nice and happy, and then it's kind of going back to sleep. So, you know, although you, you got to wake up the, the bottled drinks, they're a lot more advanced. They might be, you know, having been used at a brewery for many generations and they're kind of, they've reached their happy place, their symbiosis. So I really like and they, that. And you you actually they, they have. They to
0: be more aggressive too. I, I find uh, yeast lab uh, bugs to be, maybe they're selecting them so that they're, you know, easily uh, intimidated by hops or that they aren't super aggressive. Um, but that's not necessarily what I want in my sour beers. I want those bugs that are you know hard to kill and are gonna keep working and making interesting flavors for you know two or three or ten years in the bottle.
1: Yeah, and on your blog, The Mad Fermentationist, uh, you know you have a handy guide to uh, a, a big list of bottles with uh, that are commercially available that have what you call harvest ready dregs, um, you know, beers with, Bread and bacteria that you can get out of there uh, Beers with just bread, And I think that's, that's a big boon to, uh, to homebrewers
0: Yeah, no, and, and For the same price of a pack of yeast You get a free beer with your, uh, with your microbes
1: Absolutely that's, that's always worth it
2: While we're on the subject of yeast uh, You want to uh, take a yeast question, Jay? Yeah, let's do it Alright, let's go to What line, Bevo is Mark on? Mark's on one Hey, Mark How's it going, guys? Hey, good, man You're in North Carolina Yes, sir. What's going on? Well,
4: uh, first off, I want to say a big fan of both of you guys. Um, awesome beers. Great, great stuff going on. But I had some, some yeast questions. So, Y um, Yeast has a, a couple new yeast strains out. The one that I've been playing around with is De Balm. It promises sour beers in two to three months. And I did a split batch experiment where I did 10 gallons of goose, did a turbid mash took me forever to do but I knocked it out. Um, I split between the boom and then Rose Layer. The De boom is two months and it's already funky and tart. Could it be because I did the turbin mash or do you think it's just a super aggressive strain of lacto or
1: did you uh, did you follow their recommendations, Mark, on uh, oxygenation where they say, you know, basically don't oxygenate it at first and then give it a little bit during the like every other couple of days?
4: Yeah. Okay. Uh, I didn't oxygenate it at all. But usually when I do the sours, like I've got 60 gallons of sours going right now, um, I just throw it in the carboy, have a nice bit of water in the airlock, and just let it do its thing. Um, but I noticed that the there's more activity in the, the boom, and tasting it and sampling it, it's it's almost ready to go. And the reason I ask is because we did a homebrew draft um, through a couple of the homebrewers in our area, and we all decided to do um, the same yeast and then try and brew a beer in, in four months and, and see what turns out. I just wanted to see if it's maybe because of the turbid or if it's just something else that I did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't used the that new mix or that new yeast, uh, so this answer will be speculative, but... Um you know, I know that when you're not oxygenating, and oxygenating a mixed culture at first, you're definitely let, letting the lactic acid bacteria win out in the initial fermentation. And then once once the bread starts going and then you're adding oxygen, uh, you are producing some ethyl acetate and acetic acid. Um, so, you know, whether that's funky or it's more of a nail polish vinegar is you know, depending on sure, how
4: it's right. not unpleasant at all. It's it actually tastes great. Like I could almost throw it in the keg and start drinking it now. That's it's a,
1: awesome. That's that sounds great. I mean, that sounds like they're delivering on their promise. Those are things to watch out for um, when you do do that technique. Um, and then you know, maybe they're just working with a more hearty strain of Brett and Lacto, like uh, Mike and I were just talking about, where you know they're they're seeing that people want these more advanced uh, cultures. But I don't know, Mike, what do you think about this?
0: I've got a pack of it downstairs. I, I haven't used it yet. I've been playing with their new Lactobacillus Brevis though, which I believe is probably the lactose strain in there. And it is, it's, it's a lot more aggressive than their sort of classic, uh, they're just plain Lactobacillus, which is uh, Lactobacillus buchneri. Real quick to sour, I, I did a starter with it and it was uh, pretty sour in about 24 hours. So I, I doubt it's the Turbid Mash. Um, the big issue with the Turbid Mash though is that you've now got a lot of unfermentables. Taking it, no problem. I would be real hesitant to bottle it unless it had had a stable final gravity for at least two weeks. A month would be better. Okay.
1: Yeah, but it sounds like, Mark, Uh you know, you got something something pretty good going there. So, kudos.
0: Sweet.
4: And I just wanted one last thing is that I got um, lucky and got a bottle of the Shadow of Your Eyes um, from the first original release that you guys did. We Drink that and then I had a bottle of Cantillon, drank that afterwards, and then we were really disappointed at the Cantillon because the <laughs> set of our eyes was so much better.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh, wow, that is high praise! Does blushing come through on the radio? This is my first show. I don't know. Thanks a lot, Mark. I appreciate that.
2: Yes, thank you for the call, Mark. Awesome,
1: that's great. Um, but yeah, you know, there's it's it's such a fun time to be in Sour Bureau, there's, there's so much going on at the yeast labs and. You know, Mike, I know that was a little bit a part of your book, but do you see kind of like yeast culturing and studying the strains and bacteria as a little more of the the next frontier on this uh, topic?
0: Oh, definitely. And and honestly, to me, it's not just the the studying the strains and the isolating the strains. It's professional brewers and home brewers figuring out what these strains are good for. Um, I mean, like whether it's White White Labs, Brett Trois, as it's called, or the original BSI, Brett Drey. It took people a while to figure out that that strain is awesome for primary fermentation. It does terrifically with, you know, a hundred percent Brett uh, IPA, something like that. Um, figuring those things out, you know, what is this strain good for? Does it do well in fruit beers? Is it going to do well in a dark beer? Does it do well in combination with something else? And I think that's the terrific thing that home brewers can do is there's so many of us and, and all of us trying things out that all these new strains are either being isolated, sure, from, from bottle dregs, but uh, Jeff Mella at Bootleg Biology has been isolating stuff from kombucha and from fruit and from uh, wild honey. And there's all sorts of these little yeast labs popping up, not just in America, but in in Europe. In, uh, I think, Sweden, there's a guy doing a, a yeast lab called Sacrilicious that does some cool stuff. Um, and I think that's really going to be the trick is figuring out Sure, it's a new breath strain. Who cares? What is it good for? What kind of beer is it going to be in? What sort of flavors does it produce under different conditions? I think that's really going to be the challenge of the next five or ten years.
1: Absolutely. It's an exciting time. We're talking with Mike Tonsmeyer. Uh, it's the Sour Hour. My name is Good. We're going to take a quick break. If you want to give us a call, have some questions for Mike, have some questions for me, have some questions for Scott, have some questions for Bevo. Who knows? 888-401-BEER uh, or join us in the chat. It's the Sour Hour. be wild I'm sensing a theme Scott
2: yeah it's amazing how many songs have a wild and sour and funky and and those sort of themes that run through the song
1: yeah. hundreds do we have played that funky music white boy oh like of course okay good yes. I'm looking forward to that one it's the sour hour my name is Jay Goodwin we're here talking about sour beer with Mike Tonsmeyer the author he literally wrote the book on sour beer American sour beers <laughs> So, Mike, uh, you know, we were talking a lot uh, last segment about, you know, all, all the all the good homebrew information that you got into uh, in, in your book. And uh, I, what I'm curious about is, you know, of the breweries you interviewed, was there a method that stuck out from from the others as particularly interesting or where you were just surprised that, wow, you know, I've had this beer. I'm surprised that this is the way they make this beer.
0: Um, you know there there wasn't a, a sort of a single beer or a single brewery that stuck out to me. It What really amazed me was actually just the the different ways that people are making terrific sour beers. And it really speaks to the fact that there isn't you know some secret, mythical, magical you know formula to make the best sour beer. It's, I think you were sort of saying earlier, it's like a, like a toolbox. Like these are all different methods that you can employ for different results. Um, and so, I'm a big fan, I mean, these beers just take so long. Drink some sour beers, you know, before you start brewing your own, before you devote a, a year or a year and a half or two years to a batch or, or to multiple batches that you're going to brew in the same way, drink a bunch of sour beers and, and look into how these different breweries do it. Um, I mean, to me, like, Jolly Pumpkin always stands out, just the fact that they are using, they've never pitched any Britannomyces, any Lactobacillus, any Pediococcus into their beers, all of those beers are soured and funked by completely wild, spontaneous Michigan microbes. They just turn on their HVAC system. They pump in air from the outside over their open fermenters, um, and they, they certainly certainly—they—they they had some trouble early on. I, I had a bottle of their Bam beer that exploded in the trunk of my car about 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, But since then, they have really figured out, they've gotten those microbes into those barrels, so it's not just the microbes in the air now. They've really built up resident cultures in every one of their barrels and their fooders and in in their whole system. Um, And now they make these amazing, fantastic, crazy beers. And in some cases, like Bam Beer only spends about three weeks in oak um, just to do a beer that's that cool that when it's young and bright and fresh and hoppy, um, but if you let sit in a bottle – and Ron was very clear. Ron Jeffries, uh, the, the head brewer founder, was very clear. These beers are ready to go when they're bottled. But if you sit on it for a little while, it, it gets an amazing, rustic, weird character, uh, some tartness, some funkiness that is just so fun and exciting. Um, sort of put that against somebody like Russian River that has a very sort of precise method where uh, Vien who who was gracious enough to write the foreword – is you know, regularly rebuying, restocking their Britannomyces cultures. He has certain cultures, certain blends of microbes he uses for each of his beers that he thinks best complements the barrel character, the fruit character. Um, and he, you know he's sitting out and he says, this is a batch of temptation, this is a batch of supplication. I'm brewing it, You know it's going to age until it's ready, I'm going to throw out the, the barrels that don't taste right to me, blend the rest, maybe throw in a little acid beer if it's not sour enough maybe throw in a little uh, of 100% brett beer if it needs to mellow out the acid. And this is a very, you know, it's a a very precise kind of method. Um, And both of these places make such fantastic beers that I can't say that one method is right or wrong or better or worse. They're just two fantastic methods that make very different but still very delicious beers.
1: What do you think the biggest mistake people make is when they're making sour beer?
0: Oh, I mean, there, there, there are so many mistakes that I have made over the last uh, seven or eight years. Um, I think one of the biggest is, I mean, sort of, it's not about the sour beers, but for your clean beers, for the sake of your clean beers, take your old clean gear, your old bottling bucket, your own, your old tubing, your old bottling wand, all that post, post-boil stuff and hand it down to your sour beers. Get a new bottling bucket, get a new racking cane, make that your new clean gear stuff. Every year, year and a half, two years, whenever you'd normally replace your old clean gear, hand it down to your sours. These microbes, they they die when you apply sanitizer to them, as long as your equipment's clean, as long as there isn't a scratch on it. But plastic is so easy to scratch, even if you, you know, you don't need a big gouge in it. Just, you know, having the racking cane in there and moving around, racking a beer out is enough to, to cause some scratches big enough for these little tiny bacteria to get down in there. Um, I, I'd also say that um, not adding enough Brewer's yeast or enough Britannomyces or enough Lactobacillus, you want something that is going to start fermentation relatively quickly. Um, my first batch of Lambic years ago, I used just one old smack pack of Lambic blend. Um, I mean, back then, who knows how long it had been sitting on the shelf. I certainly didn't look at the date code on it. It was four or five days before it started fermenting, and I still have bottles of that beer. It's still, it tastes like pine salt. It's, it's really horrific. <laughs> Um, I, I think there's there's all sorts of little you know little other mistakes. I've had so many bad sour mash beers uh, in my life. I, I, there are a couple sour mash beers I've had that are sort of passable, but for the most part, if any oxygen's getting in there, people are getting butyric acid, that sort of uh, vomity, parmesan cheesy, footy sort of character, and Brettanomyces can convert that to ethyl butyrate, which is delicious and mango and papaya it often just converts a little of it to that, and you end up with this sort of cheesy, funky, papaya, guava kind of thing. Um, So, I mean, there's all sorts of of little issues, but I think those are some of the big ones.
2: All right, here is a question for the both of you, and it's another Mike from Ohio. Mike, what's up?
0: Hey, what's going on,
3: guys? Hey, uh, first off, I want to thank uh, Jay and Mike. I'm really big fans of them. So uh, thanks for what you're doing.
5: Thanks, Mike. Yeah.
3: Um, question though, um, so buddy and I were talking about brewing sour beers, but so most typically, most home brewers brew, you know, do a primary fermentation with the whole strain, right? They get it down to like, you know, 10, 15, roughly, specific gravity, and then they throw it in a barrel or throw it in a carboy and let it sour out with the brett and the other lactone PDO, right? Um, we were discussing whether or not we could use a wine yeast, right, so you brew primary fermentation with wine yeast, and they get it down to about 1025, 1030, because wine yeast has a hard time uh, fermenting out malt- maltose and especially maltotrios as well. So you leave a lot of those residual sugars behind for the brett and other um, lacto and stuff like that to eat up. Um, any suggestions or comments on that from Jay or either Mike?
1: I mean, in theory, I think that sounds good. I've never done a primary fermentation with wine yeast. Um, you know, if I did. Yeah, Mike, why don't you just take the lead on this one?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, it. it I I listened to the Shea Comfort interview on the Brewing Network a couple years back, and BM forty-five, which is a red wine yeast, which is supposed to be really, um, uh, well, a lot of red fruit, a lot of uh, cherry. I said, hey, that right. sounds perfect for primary fermentation on a Flanders red, and I gave it a shot. It's, uh, it's okay. The, the flavor of it has this, It just has this weird flavor to it that I don't really dig. Um, it's, it's fine. It just sort of has this weird, like old sort of stale yeasty kind of flavor. Um, I think part of that may be my fault. Uh, BM 45 is what's called the killer wine strain. It produces right. a toxin, which is toxic to susceptible, uh, yeast strains. And generally Britannomyces is not susceptible. But uh, Brewer's yeast, in particular, uh, ale yeast in my case, is I pitched a big starter of, it was actually a slurry from a friend of East Coast yeast, uh, Flemish ale, which had ale yeast in it. And I'm pretty sure that okay. toxin killed the ale yeast, caused some sort of autolysis flavors, um, created some off flavors. If I tried it again, if you, as long as you're pitching that wine yeast, make sure you're pitching something else that doesn't have much Brewer's yeast in it. So, so buying either specific cultures, rather than a blend, or getting bottled dregs that you know weren't bottled uh, with a okay. nail yeast.
5: And yeah,
3: we're you... pitching about six or seven different bread strains, and then along with a couple of lacto and, and like two or three pio strains. So, not
0: nothing brewer's yeast wise. So, you think it'd be okay? I mean, I, I definitely think it's worth a shot. And that's, I mean, that's the fun thing about being a home brewer. I, Give it a Go shot. Ahead. See how it works. And if you can brew enough, do a split batch and pitch those same things. You know, maybe ferment one out with wine yeast and one out with uh, whatever ale yeast you've got on hand. And then in a year, see how they compare. See what that wine yeast is really doing. Okay. All right. On. Well, I appreciate the, the feedback.
2: Thank you for the call, Mike.
1: Great. Yeah. Uh, the only, only other thing I was going to add to that was, uh, you know, if you're looking for a higher— not, I wouldn't say finishing gravity, but gravity at the point you add your brett and bacteria. Um, there's a few other options. One, you know, just high mash temp. Another is, you know, a low attenuating yeast. And then I think there's another method, which, Mike, you might have suggested in your book, which is um, just cooling down your beer before the end of primary fermentation. You know, you're going to yeah. leave some off flavors, but those are the same off flavors that are going to get eaten up by the brett and the secondary fermentation.
0: Definitely, or, or you could dump in some maltodextrin or people, I some I, I can't remember who it was, there's a brewery that's adding um, flaked grains to the boil to, to pull some starches out. People are amazingly uh, resourceful, and that's the thing I love about American breweries is that every, everyone's got their own thing, everyone's got their own method to, to try out.
1: Definitely. And uh, Mike, getting back to your book for a little bit, you know. well, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, some of the things that, are not in your book, but you've made available to people. Um, you know, we talked about your list of bottles with harvest-ready dregs. Um, you've got a, a post on your site of uh, descriptions of, of all the commercially available strains that, you know, people may want to use, uh, including the bomb strain that we talked about with Mark a little bit earlier. Um, you've also got a, a blending priming calculator that's available for download on a July 15th post for all those homebrewers. Who are uh, blending different batches and putting that into a bottle, and then you've also got sections that were trimmed from the book. Uh, that's 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 quite a bit up on the blog.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's tricky when when you write your first book and you start out without a publisher. I I didn't know when to stop. I just kept writing, and I ended up submitting a manuscript with it was 145,000 words or something like that. And I could have written more. Um, and so thankfully, I had a, I had a couple of great editors uh, and a great publisher, and they sort of when they looked at, hey, what you know, what what can I keep updating? So like that list of dregs that may not stay the same. There may be breweries now that have harvestable dregs that, in uh, a year, or five years, or ten years, end up flash pasteurizing uh, the way some breweries already are. Or there's always new yeast blends and and microbes coming out. You know, why not have that on the blog where I can keep it up to date, keep adding to it, um, keep giving my impressions is you know, not only I I hear from other brewers, but as I get to try them myself.
1: Awesome. Mike, I want to thank you so much for being the first guest on the Sour Hour. It's been a pleasure having you and I get the feeling that we might be having you back. There's way too much to talk about just in a, you know, a short show.
2: Yeah, Mike, you got to get your uh, rear end out to California so you can do it in studio for the session.
1: Well, he was just here. He was down at Modern Times where he consults on some of their beer. He was signing books, but yeah, you got to come back out.
0: I'll I'll be out there at some point. I'm sure, guys.
1: Please, thanks, Mike.
0: Cool. Cheers.
2: All right, Jay, you want to uh, answer a, a few more questions here before we wrap our uh, pilot episode, the first annual, if you will?
1: Yeah, I'm man. I'm exhausted. Hosting is hard. <laughs> I, you know, Justin, he needs a vacation. I understand now why. It's like You're I I already need that. I need a vacation already.
2: <laughs> From an hour <laughs> and seven minutes.
1: Yeah. All Ooh.
2: right. Let's go to Sean in North Carolina. Sean.
6: Hi. How you guys doing today? Good. Hey, I had a question uh, regarding uh, making Gozos, uh, which have gotten a lot more popular. Yeah, shoot. Um, I've used, I've done it a couple times. Uh, the first time we used a coal sheath uh, and actually had some problems with it finishing out, which I think maybe might have been a pH problem. Um, so the next time I used uh for primary fermentation, like the, the Brett Traw, uh, and it seemed to work pretty good. Um, and and let, me, let me step back and say, we've always sour mashed these. So I did the, the version in Zymergy, uh, where they basically take a couple tablespoons of grain and like a quart starter, let it sit for four days at like 100 degrees. Uh, the lacto grows. It kills everything off. Uh, you brew as normal. You pull everything off the mash, and you cool it to about 120, and you pitch that lacto starter. Uh, and you leave it there for 24 hours, you know, 18 to 24 hours, depending on how sour you want it. Next day, pick up, boil as normal, and then add your yeast. Uh my question is we've actually had some problems getting it to finish out. Like I said, the first time with a coal sheath, it just it went for about two days and completely died. We tried huge pictures of other yeast, it just didn't do nothing. Uh second time I did Brettanomyces, Um it pretty much finished out. This next time we actually um we did this again and it actually I wonder if we got an acid producing or an alcoholic version. Uh it got super active the the gravity dropped away, you know, usually when I do a sour mash, I'll lose a few points, uh, but we lost a whole bunch of points, and then just in the boiling, it looked weird. And then when we were all done, even after boiling, it was 1040. But we, what we would originally started out with was 1060. So I can only figure that we got an alcohol-producing lacto strain. Uh, it fermented in alcohol within 24 hours, and then we boiled most of it off, and then we were stuck with the 1040. It, it tasted okay. But w- what do you think happened there, or what would your recommendations be? And, and maybe I'd even thought about the lacto brevis using that in place and trying to make it go out of that. Just wondering
1: your thoughts on that. That is a meaty question right there. I like that. So uh, I, I have a question for you, actually. So you do this uh, four-day sour mash. How How is your mash uncovered during that time?
6: No, it, it's not a sour mash. So I, I mash as normal, okay. uh, but I pull all the mash off, so prior to the boil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cool it to 120 degrees, gotcha. and then I use a sour starter that was out of Zymergy, and that, the, the three to four days is to make the sour starter. But when I pitch that lacto starter, it's only going 18 to 24 hours before I pick up, boil again as normal, add hops as normal, chill as normal, and then use a regular ale strain.
1: Okay. So I don't think uh, any of the lacto strains would ferment that much. But I I do think that, you know, when you're using the coal sheist and you you had that, uh, once you had your lacto going, you had your methods down, I think, yeah, the pH was too low, you know, barring not knowing any of the pH values of of these different, uh, these different times. But what I would suggest is just uh, using 100% Brett fermentation. That 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 may not be what you want to do, but if you start off with that, um, you know, you're, you're not going to get a lot of Brett character. And it may right. be kind of, you know, if you're just looking for an easy drinking, lactically sour beer, that's something we've done a lot of at the Rare Barrel. Uh, we made a beer that we sort of jokingly called a Goza, but you know it really wasn't produced in that method it was aged in an oak barrel it was over a year old um we didn't even add salt or coriander to it but it's just you know based on the classical definition it had these lemon zest flavors it was nicely tart um so you know from my biased personal opinion i would say you know no need to follow traditional methods but you're just trying to get those traditional flavors so what i might do is just you know, continue to do the Brett uh, Trois or the Brett Drey in a primary fermentation. That has a great acid tolerance, um, but, you know, you don't want to repitch it too many times because over time it's going to get, uh, you know, less and less viable in that acidic environment.
6: Okay. What do you think about using the, uh, the Lacto Brevis?
1: I think that's a great idea. I think that's a hardier strain. H- how sour are these uh, beers turning out?
6: Uh, pretty sour. Uh, I'd say on if you've had Westbrook's Goza, uh, Mm -hmm. probably about that sour, maybe a little bit less. I mean, it's definitely in the wheelhouse. Um, Just needs a little bit of tweaking, I think.
1: You know, I if you like where the level of acidity is, I I wouldn't. I'd say you know don't uh, switch your strains. But you know, homebrewers by nature, I think you want to try something new. So I'd I'd say go for it. You know, you you may be a little more acidity, but uh, you know that's that's not a bad thing if it's in balance.
6: Okay. And, and last question, if you don't mind, sure. if when you if you've ever done like a sour mash or something like that yourself, how much of a point drop did you see? Um, you know, in, in gravity, letting it sour mash. I mean, would you expect a lot or just a little
1: bit? I'd expect almost almost none. I mean, it's there. Okay. There's that acidity being produced. Um, it's n- not to the level that I think you're you're quoting right now, but uh, you know. Every sour mash is different. You are kind of opening it up to the elements a little bit, so, you know, it's a bit of a crapshoot.
2: Thank you for the call, Sean. Much appreciated. Let's do let's do one more. I know we have a, a lot of questions from the chat, too. I'm going to save those cool. um, for a future show because we're a little over time. But I do want to get to James in Dallas. James?
4: Uh, yeah. What's um, we- I was going to find out. I just recently did a 100% Brett IPA uh, with Brett Bruck and I just harvested off uh, all the yeast on it, but I'm trying to, I'm having a hard time getting a lot of the uh, solids to separate in regards to the yeast and the hops. Uh, any recommendations? I mean, can acid washing do the same thing with Brett, or should I be doing something else to clear that up? I mean, do you guys ever re-harvest Brett? I mean, I imagine you would, but...
1: We, we do reharvest harvest Brett. We usually do it in a mixed culture with bacteria, um, and we're never, ever dealing with hops hot matter in a primary fermentation. Um, I know that Jamil mm-hmm. talks a lot about it in s- some of his episodes and also in his uh, book Yeast. But uh, yeah, acid washing is something I've never had to do. Um, but, you know, I think the the lowest effort method is to just uh, take all of it and start a new starter and then just harvest off the, off the top of that starter. Cause then you're going to get okay. all the yeast that's in suspension and then just kind of reboot from there.
2: Okay. All right,
1: cool. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, James.
2: Thank you. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the calls, everybody. Uh, thank you for making Bevo work. That is my favorite when she has to uh, scurry around in there in her little booth there. I love it. Thanks, Bevo. What what'd you think there, Jay? Uh,
1: you know, I thought I was good. I, I'm, I'm not a, <laughs> oh, i am not I'm not a natural host. I love talking to Mike. Uh, you know, I like talking sour beer, but, uh, you know, I, I really need Justin to come back to help me with these transitions and... I need to go to to host school but you know it, it'll get better episode by episode i hope
2: need justin to come back what am i chopped liver
1: you're not chopped liver you're the reason i got through the show without a panic attack <laughs> but yeah. uh you know it's uh the reason i'm here is to, to try and help share information about sour beer and if the the people listening and the people we didn't get to in the chat can can bear with us on the on the rough edges then i think there's gonna be a lot of good information on the show so I'm for excited. sure
2: and people are definitely uh, – um, there's a lot of questions uh, that need to be answered just uh, judging by uh, how people reacted to uh, tonight's show. So uh, we really appreciate uh, everybody uh, participating and uh, making your uh, questions known. And uh, please keep it up. And, again, throughout the week, you can email questions to me. at scott at the brewing Networkcom And uh, you can uh, take us out of here. I'm going to stop playing host, man. Oh, well, let's wait for Justin to get back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Scott. Scott's been very helpful. This has been The Sour Hour. I'm Jay Goodman. We'll see you next – month question mark whenever yeah whenever see you guys